0: Good morning Mendocino County and beyond. You are listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak. I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. It's all about living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond and it alternates with the cannabis hour on the other Thursdays. Welcome to Wild Oak Living. I'm so happy you are joining us this morning, and I am very happy to welcome to Wild Oak Living this morning my first guest, Dot Bervarney, who has just released a new book, a beautiful, wonderful new book called Mendocino Refuge, Lake Leonard's and Reeves Canyon. Welcome to Wild Oak Living, Dot. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Johanna. I'm so happy to have you, and I'm and I've been eagerly awaiting the release of this book, as I know have many people in our community. So I'm really happy it's here. It's here just in time for the holidays. I got an email yesterday from somebody in response to the promo for the show who said, "I've already sent out two copies to friends as Christmas presents."
1: (laughs) So that's wonderful. I'm happy to hear that, and that was. Uh, part of the eight-year master plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, I got my... Before the holidays. <laughs> um I just want to give people a little bit of background about you, so I'm just going to read what it says about the author in your book. I think that's a really great summary uh, to give people a background about you. You are an historian. Dot Bravani writes about the connections between humans and the natural world through her historical research company Lancestry. Dot edited and published The Sweet Life, Cherry Stories from Butler Ranch. I remember that book. That was a wonderful book about how an orchard created a community. She co-authored Remember your relations, the Elsie Allen baskets, family and friends, an award-winning book chronicling the lives and art of Native Pomo basket weavers. A former museum professional with an M.A. in history from UC Santa Barbara, Dot works as an independent historian and writer. For 30 years, she has made her home in the oak woodlands of Mendocino County. You can find her work at www.landcestry.com Welcome again to Wild Oak Living. Let's start Out by asking the question I always ask people who have a book to talk about. What inspired you to write
1: about this topic? All right. Well, the book actually grew out of kind of a community gift that came my came my way in 2014, early 2014. I got an email from Nancy Hensley. that she was in possession of a trunk, um, and it was temporarily with her. It was filled with historical material that she thought was important to the community, and she thought somebody uh, familiar with historical documents ought to look at it. And so I went down to her house, and um, spent three days going through it. It was such a rich treasure treasure chest of material. And one of the beautiful things about it was, although I didn't know her personally, I knew of this person and many people have heard of her, Hazel Putnam. And she, uh, her family goes back to 1904, owning property in Reeves Canyon right about halfway up, right as the um, uh, environment transitions into the forest there. And she had retired there with her husband in about 1960 and uh, developed quite a reputation in the community. She was a horsewoman. She trained um, people to English saddle riding, which was mm um, not the way people rode up here. So she presented kind of a challenge, I think, to the community, uh, but she was also an incredibly strong woman. And I think uh, um, Sandy Marshall's oral history uh, really reflects this. And I had actually heard this story uh, from someone else in while I was sitting in the hot tub at the health club, uh, wow, years ago, that Uh, Hazel, once in retirement, uh, would sort of take command at the canyon. Her house was right on the road, about halfway up, and she protected that place, both the trees and just the privacy. Um, And when she uh, heard people coming up the road, she would stride out on her porch, which was two stories, three stories high. She could could see quite a ways. And um, she had a shotgun in hand. <laughs> and she made sure that these people were, you know, not strangers or if they, you know, what their business was there and if indeed they had business. And if she felt they didn't, uh, she scattered them. <laughs> So she she was quite a figure. So finding um, a trunk that essentially, what I have to say, it really has her whole life in that trunk. Um, really, really valuable stuff. Now, I was most interested to find, uh, you know, I haven't counted them to be honest about it, but I mean I bet you there are a thousand photos in there of the lake and the canyon. Um, because yeah. she, of course, grew up um, being there in the summers. Most people um, who uh, bought land up there went up in the summers just because it is so cold in the winter. Let's talk um, just
0: for a second about where it's actually located to give people an idea. Oh, gosh,
1: that's why I have such fabulous fabulous maps oh, in the
0: book. <laughs> I, you know, I was just going to mention that that is actually one of the most beautiful parts of the book is this beautiful fold-out map High, you know, high resolution, beautiful color drawn map of of the canyon. But but for people who are listening on the radio, maybe just give them a little bit of a
1: description. Well, I I guess I'd like to start with Lake Leonard because mm-hmm. uh, Lake Leonard is the headwaters of uh, this Mill Creek Canyon. I mean Mill Creek that runs through uh, Reeves Canyon, and it sits. Right on one of the North Coast ridges that backs up against, if you go over that ridge, you're in the big river watershed. But if you wanted to find it by car, which is what we all do now, (laughs) um, you head up 101 out of Ukiah and past Redwood Valley. And just as you head, um, just as highway starts to rise, on the left is Reed Canyon Road and you turn left there and it is a very windy, bumpy, uh, oh, about 10 miles to the lake. Which takes a while because of the way the road is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the fun of looking at the maps or what I got the biggest kick out of was, you know, you are it's a bird's eye view basically. And I think, um, you know, in our highway age, we're so used to orienting by uh, road maps that is quite remarkable uh, seeing it from above because you can really get a feel uh, for Mendocino County and how, how the topography is and how places connect. I mean, for example, Reeves Canyon actually borders what used to be the southern border of Ridgewood Ranch to the north. And on the south, the lake, in fact, is a straight shot uh, north of, or springs, um, so, anyway, it's really kind of in a in the center of the wild universe here. And we should just mention, in case people
0: want to get in their car now and drive out there, you can't just drive out to the lake, right?
1: Uh, <clears throat> no, you can't. Yeah. Um, it is privately owned, mm-hmm. and there is a gate. And I will say, if people are interested, um, there are several approaches. Now, the first time that I... Uh, went there as I recall Um, well let's see I've been there early on several times I went up with some friends who uh, one visit an overnight or two in one of the houses at an auction and very often the Dakin family that has owned the lake since 1953 uh, have uh, put donated uh, the place for for uh, people to bid on. And that was my first experience. And I mean, it's just a remarkable, remarkable place. Um, First of all, it's the largest natural lake in Mendocino County. And um, it's also very rare, as I understand it, from uh, a Berkeley biologist I've talked to, to find lakes in the North Coast Ranges. So so it's a very special place.
0: To find natural, not
1: man-made lakes. Yeah. Correct, right, yeah. which I call fake lakes,
0: because and and I read about that. You you talk about that in your book a bit. It it's it's because I think it has to do with the the geology and the tectonics of our area, right? Exactly. Lakes, even if lakes are formed like by landslides or something, they don't let usually last very long. Because, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's um, got to do with the Franciscan mélange, is what the geologists call it. But it's a jumble of rocks, and so you could you can probably visualized why they wouldn't be holding water quite as well. Um, So in any case, one other way that I've um, found, uh, you know, ready access is occasionally Sandy Marshall, who is a great lover of the lake and someone who has been going to the lake since she was about seven years old. Her family and the Dakin family uh, are close friends and she's um, uh, happy and open to bringing groups like the Native Plant Society and others that are that are interested in the natural world out there.
0: And Uh, I want to mention that um, because we're only going to like barely scratch the surface of all the history and information about the lake and of course that's why you wrote the book and people should read your book Um, and (laughs) I'll give you more information about that in a second but um, uh, I just uh, I am planning, and at least I'm hoping, at some, at some point in the future, to have Sandy and some members of the Deacon family on to talk a bit more about the family connection to the oh, lake, wonderful. and, oh, and as a sort of a part two of of this discussion, um, because there's, like I said, there's just so much information, and I think I would love to share.
1: Very, uh, very much so. Share that,
0: uh, yeah. So so we so you we've heard a little bit about your history of of being connected to this topic through this trunk that was found um and and then you I guess what happened next you started to sort of delve into the history and started researching this and discovered all these fascinating pieces of information about how the lake came to be who stewarded it how the trees were left standing, those beautiful redwood trees around the lake, you know, that have been cut down in so many other places of the county. So let's just, um, um, talk about, about all of that a bit. Let me just mention before we go there that you are tuned to KZYX, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak, and my guest is Dot Brovarney, who has written a new book called Mendocino Refuge, Lake Leonard, and Reeves Canyon. It's a beautiful book with a lot of photographs and amazing history and this beautiful map that Dot just mentioned before. Um, It's available for people who can't stay for the whole program. We should mention that it's available in local bookstores.
1: That's right. Right,
0: And also at the Grace Hudson Museum in... In Ukiah, which is where I got my copy, um, and at the uh, also at the historical society, I think in in Ukiah, right? I think
1: yes. and mm-hmm. you're on the coast, it's uh, at. Um, um, Oh,
0: my gosh. Gallery Books? Gallery oh, Bookshop. Gallery right. Bookshop, and Mendocino Book Company has it as as well. I mm-hmm. Speaking of the Hutt, Grace Hudson Museum, I just want to mention, I don't have a lot of time to, to do my usual talk th- um, today that I give about shopping local for the holidays, but I just <laughs> want to mention that local bookstores are a great place to buy gifts for the holidays for friends. Um, and also, the Grace Hudson Museum um, has a gift shop that has just a huge collection of things that would make beautiful gifts for people. So I just want to encourage you, check out the local stores, check out the local resources, the local museums, uh, They all, the local art art galleries. They all have beautiful things that make beautiful gifts for people uh, and that keeps the money locally in our community. Okay, that's my rant for today. <laughs> all right, let's talk about what you found once you started researching this.
1: Uh, Well, you know, the trunk was filled with all this (laughs) yummy stuff, um, and uh, it just felt like a a seed for a book. Mm -hmm. And so I, as much as I complain about technology, I have to admit, as a historian, I could never have done this book. Well, it would have taken me way more than eight years and a lot of traveling throughout the country to find these resources because so much um, has been scanned and put online. And obviously, if you're going to do that kind of research, you know, you need to confirm accuracy, hopefully with two sources and that sort of thing. But um, I was able to, I decided I wanted to become familiar with who all the people historically were that had, or as many as I could, associated with the canyon. So I got some names together and that's, I did that first, and then I went to the historical society so that I would have, you know, some threads to follow. And, um, and I was, you know, still fascinated by Hazel, even though I didn't have, there were no diaries, there were no letters, there wasn't a lot of self-reflective material. But the photos also convey a lot, which you'll see in the book, it was clear that she loved that place. Um, but in any case... Uh, Going to the Historical Society, uh, I found a tiny note that had been written by a woman who lived in Washington State. It was undated, but, you know, probably happened 10 years ago. Uh, And the woman said, I inherited um, letters uh, from my um, uh, older sister, and they are written by... Una Boyle, who lived at the lake. And I'm thinking of donating them, but I'm not sure. Because they make a good book. <laughs> so, so I went immediately to the um, you know, the volunteer on duty that day at the society and I said, did these letters ever come here? And she said, nope. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to find these letters. <laughs> and there again, the computer, I went to the computer and I looked up the name of this woman and this was 2014. She had died one year before 2013, which was unfortunate, but um, there were next of kin listed. So I, uh, you know, did some more research and was able to connect with a son of this woman and he said uh, he didn't know anything about these letters but he'd ask his brother and this is all uh, uh, you know email and uh, the family this family that I was reaching out to was in Mexico at the time and just within a day I got an email from the brother saying my mother gave my wife all those letters and we'd be happy to photocopy them and send them to you. Wow. So, I mean, you know, this was incredible to me because so much of history that we know or have access to is male-dominated, you know, at least, uh, you know, up until recently documents and records and that sort of thing. And women's voices come through and have historically come through things like diaries and letters. And, you know, trunks as well. (laughs) Um, I got these letters and what an incredible window into life at the lake and in the canyon. It's a rugged place. It's still a rugged place. And Una Boyle... Her family bought the lake in 1885 uh, and the owner at the time was a familiar somewhat will be a familiar name to some Ukiah people. Um, uh, They bought the lake from John Leonard and he happens to be Grace Hudson's great uncle so there's another connection there. Um, Anyway, Una Uh, grew up there summers as a child and when she was about 29 28 she decided uh, to go live there on her own Um, you know and she had a uh, a person she called the man who was basically sort of the ranch hand caretaker which if you've driven out to the lake you know what that
0: means to live out there by yourself that's quite a step
1: Oh my gosh, and her life, I mean, it's much better now. So that's, that's, that's the, um, the wild thing about it. I mean, it's still so, um, so challenging. And yet when she was there, she would, uh, you know, she'd have to have a car parked up at Ridgewood Ranch so that she, when, it flo- when the rains came and the creek flooded, and of course, you know, the bridges went out she could ride her horse up to Ridgewood and, you know, get uh, her supplies and that sort of thing. Uh, But anyway, she was there for, uh, through the rest of her life. Uh, So that's her personal chronicle of her experiences there from 1921 or 22 to 1952.
0: And it's and, my understanding that uh, she did a lot of things while she was out there, but one of the things we can credit her for is saving those redwood trees, right?
1: Well, uh, she continued that tradition, but that was mm. um, something she inherited, you know, from her parents. Right. That um, that mission to, um, you know, keep nature. Uh, and she made some efforts also... Um, to receive uh, people from Save the Redwoods in the 1940s, I think, when Save the Redwoods was first, was first you know, scouting Northern California. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't work um, uh, for Reeves Canyon. But um, but ultimately, I feel the way this story goes, if you read the whole thing, um, The family that bought the lake in 1953, the Dakins, in the 90s, the late 90s, uh, placed the lake and lots of surrounding property, which they subsequently acquired, into a conservation easement with Mendocino, excuse me, with Pacific Forest Trust. So, um, you know, the, the, the women's voices are so important to telling this story really on the ground. Um, but the, the, the story of a place just gave me this opportunity to go beyond what, you know, what you might do in a biography, say, uh, or writing about one person. That sort of frames you into a space and time. But because I was writing about this remarkable, wild place, It allowed me to go back millennia, you know, to the geology. You know, how did this lake form? One of the first things I learned when I got in touch with Sandy Marshall was that the um, USGS, the Geological Society, has been doing a study at the lake, well, about since the time just before I started uh, writing the book. And... What they are doing essentially is climate change research, and uh, the geologist uh, uh, Lissana Anderson was looking for a pristine or close to pos- as possible to pristine lake uh, back in you know the early teens, and she just went online again. The beauty of this <laughs> this quick uh, contact. Um, She found out about Julia Dakin, who at that time was was managing the property with her husband, John. And so uh, what this group has been doing is coming up regularly and actually drilling down beneath the bottom of the lake. So what... In fact, they're doing, and I'm not going to be able to explain the process to you, I, um, I studied it. I had Lasana go through it with me several times. But in, in effect, they're doing pollen studies based on what they are removing um, from co- a core, which they are boring down to the very bottom. And, you know, this was all, you know, I was learning all this in the teens while I was writing the book, this was when, you know, things were happening um, nationally, and there were lots of voices anti-science, and I thought, this is so important that they are doing this. And they're doing it right here in the middle of Mendocino County. And I don't think anybody knows about it. Um, Anyhow, that's an ongoing study. But uh, what that did for me is, is... gave me a larger frame for the book. Um, in other words, I i was... My natural inclination is to explore the human experiences, but because of this reach back, you know, and reach down deep, you know, below the bottom of the lake, millennia, in effect, and, um, and being able to bring it up through um uh, you know in the indigenous period uh the settlement and colonization period into the present and um and facing uh climate change uh as we are um it enabled me to not only look back but to look forward which was which was very rewarding and that wasn't you know at all any Thing that I had planned—it's how it evolved as I researched, and um, as I said, just very, very rich, rich, rich material. Um, our our community is full of um, people who have family stories, who have uh, photo collections, um, oral histories are really important. Sandy has a whole set of oral histories that are on. Um the uh lakereserve.com website, uh, if you look under, oh, um uh, one of the uh you just about, I think, you can go to the histories that she recorded, and she did these back in nineteen the late 70s, and that opened up, you know, an additional world to me because I, Obviously can't interview those people; they are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so there just was a lot of um, um, a lot of clues I was able to follow. I call them threads. I chased lots of threads. I'm going to yeah. see if
0: I can maybe include some of that oral history in 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 part two of this exploration
1: of the history. Oh yeah, well, I... there's just some fabulous stories yeah. she was able to capture. Was, what was that you know,
0: website again for people to go to?
1: Um, leonardlakereserve.com okay great i believe the about um section has uh you just can go scroll down and click on on those histories,
0: and while we, while I'm sorry, uh, I just want to take a little break uh, and say while we're on the subject of websites, um, I just want to let you all know that uh, you are listening to Wilder Living, and I'm talking. This is Johanna Wilder, and I'm talking with Dot Bervarni, who is the author of a beautiful new book called Mendocino Refuge, Lake Leonard, and Reeves Canyon, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about with Dot about this book and the process of how this book came about. The book is available uh, from local bookstores gallery books mendocino book company the grace hudson museum um and you have a website uh, right also that people can go to to find out more about you and your book
1: uh, actually yeah now i have two websites okay <laughs> before i uh I published the book i only had dot at landcestry.com. um and now there is one for the book, MendocinoRefuge.com.
0: Okay, great. So that's where you can all go and find out more about this beautiful book. I want to take, you mentioned that you that you um, were able to take the, the bigger view in terms of history. Um, the lake came about, is my understanding, through a kind of a landslide, right? Uh, a long time ago. I don't know how, how long ago. Well, you know,
1: that was one of the things I wanted to know, you know. <laughs> We historians, we want to know, um, and sometimes we can't know everything. But that also was um, a big advantage to um, being able to talk to, I called her geologist. She's actually a paleoecologist, but the woman from the U.S. Geological Survey, because they are boring down uh, uh, below the bottom of the lake, they've been able, you know, with their... um, you know, equipment um, to get an approximate date. Um, And I think what they've come up with, and this is only as far as they have bored, they're not done boring, you see. So um, she has said, because I kept up asking her, okay, How how far now? How far now? Because I wanted to get as close to, you know, the truth as I could. But, um, you know, science has to be done slowly and meticulously. So she said, um, if I recall correctly, uh, that they could date it to at least 3,500 years ago. And, you know, I'm inclined to think it's actually, you know, quite a bit more. Um, The landslide that formed Blue Lakes which I believe has been studied extensively, and that's not the case with Blake Leonard, um, that is dated, at, I believe, at 10,000 years old.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I'm just curious whether perhaps the slides happened at the same time due yeah. to some Cataclysmic event,
0: right? Some major earthquake or something, right? Yeah, right. Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: And um, and so, given that it is several thousand years old, um, you've one of the things that you talk about in the book that's so fascinating. There's many fascinating things in the book. Is is the relationship between the native people of the area with the lake? And I'm just want, we don't have a lot of time left, and people will just have to read your book to get all the details. But I just want to touch upon this topic a bit. Because that makes a, f- a fascinating part of the history that you talk about in your book.
1: Um, yes, well, you know, as I said, because it was it is a history of a place. Um, you know, I wanted to take that place through the ages and um, and clearly, you know, people were living here <laughs> before colonization. Yeah. So I did do, a deep dive into, you know, the kind of uh, paper records, if you will, for lack of a better word, um, related to um, the native peoples here, and I wanted to understand their relationship uh, to the lake, um, and you know, Berkeley, UC Berkeley developed an anthropology program. Um, Oh, gosh, in the late 1890s. Uh, And there was one particular student who became the first uh, PhD to come out of that anthropology program. That was uh, Samuel Barrett, S.A. Barrett, who just happened to grow up in Ukiah. (laughs) So he was, uh, you know, an important uh, link to the, um, the shared myths and stories of the Pomo. and uh, wrote a book in 1908 with a myriad myths. And that was the well, that was a key source for me in trying to understand uh, the Pomo experience in the natural world because those stories, of course, are grounded in, in nature and so i looked at, i am not going to reveal too much about this but i did look at their relationship to water and lakes and i had been told and you know i can't tell you whether this is the abs- uh, absolute truth or not but i had been told that um native peoples wouldn't live in a heavily wooded forest you know it's too cold and that the and you know if you look at the the maps that have been made of native village locations and that sort of thing. They are in the valleys and they are, you know, they are along uh, rivers. uh, And that's where their food sources were largely. So um, so that was probably, you know, there were many mysteries to solve, you know, and lots of clues. And I followed the threads as far as I could. And I found many interconnections. And I'll say with the native story in Lake Leonard, you know, there's, there's an interconnection there, but I'm not going to reveal what it is. <laughs> and hopefully people will, will pick up the book and... My
0: people will just have to read your book uh, which is called Mendocino Refuge Lake Leonard and Reeves Canyon by uh, local historian Dot Brevarney, who is my guest here on Wild Earth Living today and I'm so grateful that you wrote this book and that you joined us to talk about it here today we've got a couple of minutes left for you for any closing remarks you'd like to offer and if you want to offer any contact or website information again
1: oh. Okay, all right, let's see. Well, uh, I'll just give the two um, websites www.lancestry.com uh, and uh, Mendocino Refuge.com. Uh, I guess I just want to say something that I did feel when I did the uh, Sweet Life Cherry Book that this community has so much to offer, and people are so giving, Um, you know, that I really feel like, yes, you know, I wrote this book, but really it came to me, it just sort of was gifted to me in many different ways, but also greatly by people in the community who shared so much. I mean, I worked with, I had, uh, I worked with painters, photographers, uh, botanists conservation biologists, um, you know, they all wanted to, you know, to um, help with the book and shared their knowledge and their uh, images. And you'll see, I mean, that's one of the reasons why there's 200 photographs in the book, um, historical and contemporary. Um, Truly, you know, it's it's a book from the community and for the community.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dot Bravarni, for being on Wild Oak Living today and for writing this book, Mendocino Refuge, Lake Leonard and Reeves Canyon. As I mentioned before, you can get it at Gallery Books, at Mendocino Book Company, at the Mendocino Historical Society, and at the Grace Hudson Museum gift shop. Thank you for being on Wild Oak Living and all the best and much success with your book. Okay, thank you so much. It was a joy. Thank you. All right, you are listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak. This program comes to you every other Thursday from 9 until 10 a.m. and alternates with the cannabis hour. And... um, as I said earlier, the program is all about uh, living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. And to that extent, um, I, I like to also talk about the people in organizations in our community that offer solutions to problems and that do things that help people and that especially help uh, vulnerable people uh, that need our help. And, uh, of course, that's Often, especially obvious during the holidays. And so, to that extent, as by way of just one of the many existing organizations in our area that do so much wonderful good all year long, but especially during the holidays, I would like to welcome uh, Annie Liner who is with the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund, um, and who is going to talk about some of the work that they're doing, especially during this season, to help people, but also just to talk about the organization in general and, and what you and we all can do to support their work and to support at the work of the many organizations in the county uh, that are helping people who need help, who need our help. So welcome to Wild... Let's see if i can unmute you are you unmuted no i think (laughs) welcome to wildlife living annie good morning
2: good morning it's a pleasure to see you again joanna and uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some of the things that are happening on the west side of the county
0: yes talk a bit about the mendocino coast children's fund what are you all about how did you come to be give us a little bit of a background
2: Mendocino the Coast Children's Fund started 30 years ago uh, by a local group of rather wonderful community members who recognized that there were children on the coast who needed services and support that they were not receiving. Uh, the founder was a woman named Bobby Markell, who was a local poet. She gathered a group of friends together did a poetry reading because she was a poet at the mendocino arts center the group sold cookies raised about 200 dollars, took that money and went to social services and said how can we help it was basically a kitchen table wisdom group and it stayed a kitchen table wisdom group for many many years with us meeting in each other's homes around our kitchen tables and each year raising a little bit more money until Oh, probably after about four years, I became the volunteer executive director because we needed to sort of have a structure to what we were doing. And um, now, 30 years later, we are serving hundreds of families and children up and down the coast, uh, trying to meet the needs that are not able to be met through other organizations, either because people don't have access because of um, not having access to the internet, uh, having language barriers, being concerned about working with um, more um, official types of organizations because of documentation issues or other kinds of concerns. Um, Lots of our clients have had prior uh, health or mental health issues that affect their ability to function well. Many of our clients have transportation issues, they can't get to the normal um, outlets for services. Uh, There's a variety of reasons that families fall through the cracks. Some of them are one-time issues, sometimes they're cumulative, sometimes they're generational. Um, The Children's Fund goal is to make sure that every child has the most optimized childhood possible because the long-term lifetime effects on children whose health needs and uh, emotional needs and physical needs are not met uh, has an impact on our entire community. If a child uh, is not functioning well in a classroom, that affects the whole classroom, not just the child who's having the challenge. And so all of us benefit when we support children. Um, We know that 90% of brain growth happens in the first three years of a child's life. So, early interventions are definitely the most positive thing that we can do. We start working with moms uh, when they are pregnant to try and help them get good medical support, transportation if it's needed. We spend money on getting families to UCSF and Children's Hospital in Oakland and to Stanford when there are early complications either in the pregnancy or right after the baby is born to make sure these children get to medical specialists because we have a huge gap in our county um, in terms of pediatric services. Almost all of the specialization is outside of the county. The costs for a family to get to UCSF when they have a child or a pregnancy that is high risk is extremely expensive. And unfortunately the Support systems that are designed in Washington, D.C. do not work well in Mendocino because we don't have an intricate public transportation system. We don't have medical centers where all your services are in one building. Um, It can cost $200 just in gas for a family to get to UCSF. And then there's the overnight stays and the testing for COVID, the lost work. The need for child care for the rest of the family um, the challenge culturally of driving into a city when perhaps you've never driven outside the mendocino county area um, it's very easy for people that are um, who were born here and who have jobs and have reliable cars and strong kinship systems uh, to deal with these challenges it's much more harder for a young family where there may not be a grandmother, there may not be an aunt to do childcare. They may not have a reliable car. uh, They have maybe never been in a large city environment. They come from a more rural kind of experience. They may not speak the language. Um, They may have some cognitive challenges. And so um, we're just there to sort of wrap our arms around high risk situations that for whatever reason, our partners are not able to um, successfully solve the problem. We work a lot with our clinic, we work a lot with medical referrals, we work a lot with schools. Um, If people go to our webpage, they'll find that we have over 75 partners listed. And um, I actually suggest that people do that because the resources that are listed on the Children's Fund page benefit everybody we have a huge number of resources uh, about public health issues about mental health issues about educational issues for children nutritional issues but also for elders also for families of all ages and those resources are things that we can all share with each other and by doing that we strengthen the network of support for the entire county so i really encourage you if you're listening to consider going to our web page and you can just google mendocino coast children's fund um you can go to www.mccf.info uh, and to i understand
0: try to make the yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> i and uh, um so i understand from previous conversations that we've had that um uh, uh, there's two things I want to make sure that we cover today. Um, one is that you that uh, you've gone now from from uh, meeting around kitchen tables and 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 doing outreach to people to actually having a uh, a home or a base from where you can provide some of your services. Uh, and you already mentioned the fact that you are not a standalone organization in that sense. You are linked in and connected and refer people and uh, to many other uh, resources and services. Services and organizations, um, and what are some of the special challenges right now around the holidays that perhaps people could help you deal with?
2: Well, that's a really interesting question. And yes, for many many years we were an all volunteer organization. When COVID hit, the needs became so great that we decided that we had to add staff. Uh, in order to meet the needs, uh, because it was too dangerous for volunteers to be providing services. Many of our volunteers were older at that point, and because in order for us to apply for funding, we needed to have a, a more formal structure than a volunteer organization could offer. And then very, very shortly after that happened, our Family Resource Network uh, asked us if we could set up a family resource center because the previous family resource center uh organization um disbanded and we no longer had a family resource center for fort bragg so we are now located at the corner of what i call hope and love which is the corner of redwood and franklin in fort bragg in a building that for many many years has been known as the family hands building and we are operating the family hands resource center And the goal is to give a hand up to anybody who needs it. And we are there five days a week. We have staff, we have our uh, phone lines available. We are available uh, by cell, by email. And the challenges that we're facing is that we have a huge number of families that have been disrupted by the impact that COVID has had on their health and on their economics. We are facing the same challenges that the whole county is facing in terms of housing inequity. And people are exhausted emotionally, financially, physically. And we're trying to make sure that we can bring resources to families and solve small problems before they become big problems. So we have a huge emphasis on homelessness prevention because... uh, As expensive as it is to prevent homelessness, it's ten times more expensive to deal with it after that has happened and a family has been evicted. We have a huge emphasis on getting people to the correct medical care before a medical problem becomes a much more expensive situation. We have a huge emphasis on connecting people with services from the county, such as Medicare and CalFresh. Which is traditionally have been known as food stamps, and mental health, and public health, and getting people the information they need so that they can move forward with their life. Uh, right now, we're doing Christmas for several hundred children. Uh, we are because we are also a family resource center. This year, we are serving children from Westport to Elk. We have a service area that is mandated by our family resource under agreement and also by the fact that we traditionally have always served the Mendocino and Fort Bragg school district areas. We send resources down to our partners on the south coast. We've done that for 30 years and we're continuing to do that. We gave a $10,000 grant to one of our local agencies on the south coast, the Mendonama Alliance, because we felt that they had staff in place and were better able to respond than we could with only two employees on the north coast and a 30-mile distance. We have a great belief that local neighborhood organizations, grassroots organizations are in the best position very often to answer the problems that larger organizations are not able to handle.
0: How can people support your work now and year-round?
2: I think it's important that people are supporting not just our work, but the work of all of the smaller grassroots organizations that are doing good things to keep communities healthy. The Children's Zone is one example, and perhaps we're the oldest and one of the strongest at that sense because we've been around for a long time as child advocates. But if you have a family resource center in your community, if you're in Laytonville, if you were in Willits, if you were in Point Arena, if you were in Ukiah, I would Google Family Resource Network and I would look to see how you might offer a little financial support to those organizations. I would really encourage people to adopt a child, add an extra grandchild to your life and send $25 a month, not just once, but on a monthly basis because children have needs 12 months a year. And if you can do that, if you can add $10 or $15 or $25 or $100 to a local organization that is supporting children, you are supporting your whole community. And you're going to feel better about yourself. You're going to sleep better. If your passion is local animal welfare, find a local animal welfare group in your community and support them. If your passion is elders, find your nearest senior center and support them. If your passion is nutrition, think about your food bank, think about plowshares, plow think about some of the wonderful programs that are happening in Willets and on the coast and on the south coast, but find a passion and move it from rhetoric to action. I can't encourage that enough. There are just so many people that are anxious about what's happening in our county and could be part of the solution by making a small monetary contribution to the thing that calls to their heart. I would love it to be the children's fund. I feel like we are extremely effective, but I don't think it matters so much if it's us, as long as it's something that's local in your community that is run responsibly. The other thing, if you're in a position to volunteer time, whether it's writing thank you notes or answering the phones, there are a lot of things that people can do now remote from their home, I am sitting here in my flannel nightgown and my red bathrobe and my fuzzy slippers as I am talking to you. And you can be sitting in your fuzzy slippers and your bathrobe and being a very effective advocate either for us or for another organization in the county. If you go to our website, if you're a West County person, you're going to see a large number of West County organizations and county-wide organizations listed if you go to our website and you look under resources you will find resources under every possible category please get involved not just on facebook please get involved in real life thank you thank you joanna i am not hearing you oh i'm sorry thank you
0: for um, thank you for pointing that out i'm i'm yeah um the one from and for making that point about helping uh, an organization that's close to your heart and that's close to you in your community, it's one of the reasons I do this program is is to help us connect with each other and to help us do that to build community, and to support each other. And you know, as an as an older person, I am particularly. Uh, um, I particularly care a lot about the work that you do to help children because by helping children grow up healthy and strong, they become our support network. You know, when when we get old, and and then they just pay it forward. And so I think I think your focus on children and helping families uh, is particularly valuable. But in, that's not to take away from any of the other causes that you mentioned. Um, you know, it it like you said, find something that you're passionate about and that's close to your heart and and engage with that i think that's a really good a really good motto that you presented to us we have uh, only a couple of minutes left uh, only about 3 minutes left so um, and and you're s- so much of a better talker than i am so <laughs> i would like to invite you to just leave us with any final thoughts and also any uh, um, contact information for the mendocino coast children fund and let me just say that my guest is annie liner she's the executive director of the mendocino coast children's fund which is an organization that helps children and families as you said in the west part of our county and um uh, we are talking about the work that they're doing, but also about how you, as a member of our community, can reach out and support other causes and other other people and animals and 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 uh, things in need uh, of help during, especially during this holiday season, but like you said, also year round. It's your stage and We have
2: a um, we're easy to reach. Let me start by saying you may call me. Um, and i will or you may text me at the following number it's area code 707 684 6644 that's 707 684 6644 you can also leave a message i think you at kind
0: of broke My desk you kind of broke up can you just give that number again
2: the number is 707 684 so At my desk, at my office. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Correct. And you can also call me at 707 And you That's repeat that 937- again. Okay. Uh-huh nine three seven, seven zero seven nine three seven six one 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 perfect okay and and you can wa- mail <laughs> us a check at MC CF that's Mendocino Coast children's fund but it's easier to just use our initials so that's fine MCCF post office box six 16- six, Mendocino, California, 95460. Thank you, you so much. You can also go on the web. Mm-hmm. And there's a very quick way to donate through PayPal or credit card. But, again, whether it's us or whether it's an organization working with children or with anything that makes the community stronger, please do that.
0: Thank you so much, Annie Liner of the Mendocino Coast Children's Fund, for joining us this morning. I wish you and uh, everyone you're associated with wonderful holidays. I wish everyone wonderful holidays. I will be back uh, at the end of December for another show two weeks from today, uh, and it's the Cannabis Hour next week. Um, happy holidays to everyone. Um, let there, let there be peace. I know that's a vain hope, but uh, we can at least hope for it. And take care of yourself. I'll be back in two weeks. And thank you for listening to Wild Oak Living and thank you, any liner for joining us.